Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our webinar series, Embracing Change. We've got Dr. Stephanie Mines, based in Oregon, with us tonight. Well, her, her very early morning. Thank you, Stephanie, for um, taking the time out of your busy schedule to be with us today to talk about sustainable health paradigm, right? And, and I'd love to just, if you can share a couple minutes, your, your background and how you came about this, and then we can talk about the blueprint of health and have an experience together of what that means and, and, and um, how it all plays out. But a little bit of background would be great. So again, thank you, Stephanie, for being here. Really an honor and privilege, and uh, let's have some fun. Thank you, Faisal, for inviting me. So my background is varied, actually. I am a neuroscientist. I did my doctoral research primarily in traumatic head injury. Uh, and my research revolved around the experiences of veterans, uh, survivors of war shock. But prior to that, I was actually very involved in the arts as a writer, uh, as a poet. And I evolved out of a personal experience of trauma that had to do with the fact that my own father was a survivor of combat shock. Uh, and in reflection as a poet, as an artist, as a writer, I became incredibly curious about the internal dynamics that led people to do things that were outside of the realm of what we would consider compassionate human behavior. And it's still a source of incredible curiosity for me. And I have many fields for that curiosity in today's world. In that inquiry, I came to understand the functions of memory and the human nervous system. Okay. And in that exploration, I discovered that it was possible to access early memory that in contemporary society, we're told we don't have access to. So that's the memory of implicit life, sensory life, precognitive life. And I discovered, and I think my background as a poet gave me entry okay. into this mysterious realm okay. of human experience that goes beyond cognition and goes beyond language. Okay. As a result of that, and because I have a great deal of compassion for human evolution and a vision really of human development that takes us to a place where we do live compassionately, where we do live in harmony, not only with each other, but also with the earth herself, okay. with all the creatures of the earth and the natural world. So out of that combination of visionary consciousness and science, the science of memory, the science of the brain, I developed a portal, you might say, okay. an access into early memory that I had experienced and that I began to share with people beyond the healthcare professions. So I'm a healthcare professional, but 
quite honestly, simply working with healthcare professionals has limits. I really wanted to work with families. I wanted to work with children, which I have done extensively and written about all of this work in my books. I wanted to be part of humanity's quest for their ultimate capacity and development, particularly in terms of compassionate relationship. Wow, that's, uh, that's a lot to digest. I hope everybody's able to follow because I have a little bit of, I have background on you, so I'm keeping up. I'm sure everybody else is trying to put the pieces together. So where did the human blueprint come in from all of this expansive you know, desire to really broaden and understand that whole compassionate existence that you, that you talk about? Well, I had the good fortune to meet a woman uh, when I was, uh, this was actually before I began my doctoral research, who brought an exquisite template of the cellular matrix of human experience uh, from the teachings that she received in Japan. She married an American and brought this wisdom with her when she moved to the US. And I had the good fortune of meeting her and I became really tantalized by her understanding of human development from a cellular viewpoint. And I'm really completely open to questions if any of this languaging uh, needs to be decoded or simplified, I'm very happy to do that. So my teacher whose name, she's no longer in the body. Her name is Mary Eno Burmeister. So Burmeister of course was her married name. And she studied with a master of this cellular matrix, a man named Jiro Mirai. Uh, and he relayed to her this understanding that consciousness is present from the moment of human development. In other words, from the moment that we are conceived, from the moment that we take form, albeit a very disc-like form, an unrecognizable form, which is the conceptus. From the moment that we take on that form after conception, there is within that disc, that matrix, consciousness. And this is of course a non-cognitive consciousness, but it is nevertheless consciousness and it is primarily sensory. So when I say sensory, I'm referring to those sensations in our body that are constant, they're a continuum. And we have tended to discredit those sensations as being not relevant, but in fact, they're highly relevant and they are a narrative of how we are experiencing the external world. So that begins at conception and then evolves as we evolve in early development, that consciousness evolves with us. So in that matrix, 
of early development is the blueprint that I'm referring to. So it's, it, it begins at conception and is the blueprint already created or it's, it's finalized at birth? Like how does that, what is the time frame, or is it beyond that? It's evolutionary. In okay. other words, the blueprint is shaped by our experience of the world around us. So in okay. utero, we are experiencing the world around us yeah. through the prism of our mother's bodies, okay. which becomes a window into that world that we will enter. And there's the sensory understanding. I, I really want to emphasize the word sensory as a form of intelligence. Okay. And I realize this is a new paradigm for many people. We think of intelligence as an intellectual activity, yeah. but it's a whole body activity actually. And that whole body relationship with the entire environment around us, seen and unseen, begins from the moment of conception and then evolves because I became an embryologist. So I have investigated early development and particularly brain development as a neuroscientist. So those structures of the brain that integrate what is occurring through our sensory systems in the world around us keep evolving. They become more and more sophisticated, more and more perceptive as we develop. Okay, so this goes on till the end of life, I want to say. Okay, so that's the, but then, so now are there stages of this blueprint and are there impacts of moving back towards it or for like how, can you explain a little bit how this blueprint evolves? and the impact how this blueprint has on consciousness and you know the progress as we move through life i mean if that if that makes sense i mean i'm just yes beautiful beautiful questions thank you faisal so as we develop in utero our sensory capacities also develop our vision yeah. our smell our sense of movement our proprioception yeah. our sense of balance our sense of touch. We have a very active sense of touch in utero. And and I just want to insert here, because I'm quite passionate about this, that this life in utero is gorgeous. It's, It's so rich with experience and intelligence. And that intelligence is really the blueprint. That's actually what moves me the most um, as an embryologist, as someone who is devoted to human development, who has incredible faith in human development uh, and what's potential for us. That when we are able to validate this early history, which I hope we'll be able to demonstrate here, how, how that's possible to really claim this early history, we become so excited about the opportunity of living in a human body at this time. We recognize the miracles really of incarnation. 
So, so now, yeah, go ahead. Yes. No, you go ahead. I, I get, I get very uh, excited when I start to talk about this material. Uh, okay, so I so, want to make sure I'm answering so, your questions. So what is, I mean, what is, because obviously, you know, the, the, the whole process of conception all the way to, to, to birth, and then there's the, you know, the, the reality of life and all the impositions, expectations, judgments, all of those things start to come into in different stages, right? So is it that the blueprint is in perfection before birth and then things start to get, you know, how to say, not out of place, but impacted? Or is there still a growth uh, as you move? Like, I want to understand, because, you know, we always talk about going back to that pure consciousness. So is it pure consciousness in that space? And then things start to change. And then we want to go back to that. Like, just explain a little bit from that perspective. So I want to emphasize that from the standpoint of my research and my investigations, my information derives from prenatal life, from human development. I really don't address what might've happened before that. Yeah, okay. So the experience of development in a unique setting. So the environment in which we evolve in this body, in this lifetime, which is the focus of my attention, regardless of any beliefs I might have about other lives, that's aside, uh, the unique characteristics of the environment in which we evolve, evolves us. Okay. So in that environment, and, and this might reference earlier than conception, in that environment, the information about previous experiences that our mothers and our families and our intergenerational uh, heritage yeah. has experienced is contained within that environment. That information is encoded in that environment. And the consciousness that we have upon conception is undifferentiated. Okay. So that's maybe a way of speaking of what you're calling pure consciousness. Yes. I'm just using the words undifferentiated. So it is originally without the differentiation between self and that environment. So that makes it possible for us to absorb all of that information that is contained within the womb of the intergenerational heritage, but it also allows us because we're in this expanded undifferentiated state. So it allows us also to absorb what is in the present in the world we are inhabiting. So that is through voices, it's very purely sensory. So the voices of our mother and father and siblings and grandparents, whoever might be in the environment. And then even beyond that, you know, the culture, the world around us comes in through the filters of where we are contained And because we are undifferentiated, 
we absorb that. And we also respond to that. And we respond through our movement and our sensory development. And I just want to note that there is research about this that I could point to uh, beyond the research I've done. There's research by embryologists. There's research uh, by those who study memory. For instance, uh, Eric Kandel received the Nobel Prize for his research into memory. So this is not simply my discovery. It's corroborated by other researchers. So we absorb this information in an undifferentiated manner. And then as we develop and our sensory systems become more refined, we begin increasingly to differentiate. And then of course the ultimate differentiation is birth. Okay. So when we emerge from the womb at birth, that is a moment of differentiation. Okay, so let's take a comparative of, of nature versus nurture and pre-birth that's undifferentiated and differentiated, right? So before we thought nature was what actually, you know, was, was more important than nurture. Now, again, here, so you have this undifferentiated pure consciousness or evolution, and then it's post, right? Then there's the birth. So as a comparative, how, how does that play out? How much influence does the pre versus the post or the undifferentiated versus differentiated have on our blueprint and so, impact? Yeah. So one of the areas where I have engaged really with devotion is the role of nurture prenatally. So yeah. nurture doesn't begin just Post. at the moment of birth. Yeah. I advocate, educate, train family birthing units, parents. I've written extensively about the importance of nurture beginning even prior to conception. Yeah. That on the intention, the, just straight from the, the Yeah, through intention, through awareness. Yeah. And, and this really influences the evolution of humanity. So this is a reclamation, really, of indigenous wisdom. So I'm putting all of this into highly scientific terminology, which is kind of fun, you know, because I'm a language person. I love to play with the words. But the truth is, that this is ancient traditional wisdom. And that's why what my teacher, Mary Eno Burmeister conveyed to me was so tantalizing. And the fact that I took that information and wove it into scientific research is I hope a talisman for the future that this ancient indigenous wisdom, which we need so much right now, that validates human existence is not separate from our scientific understanding. So the ability to nurture, to welcome, to recognize the preciousness of life from the moment that, for instance, one wants to become a family impacts the development of that being and the future of humanity. The ancients knew this. 
And now we need to know it again. We need to reclaim the preciousness of life. And that's every person's life, your life, my life, the preciousness of life. And that preciousness is seen in the miracle of the scientific development that can be tracked and named now of our becoming ourselves. It's as you know, as a someone who investigated embryology, human development, I don't know if other scientists experienced this, but I became more and more excited, more and more enlightened, more and more respectful of life. There actually is an incredible uh, researcher, Alexander Tsaras, who did a TED talk on how he as a scientist who had the job really of documenting uh, the images of prenatal life, uh, how this happened to him as well. <laughs> he, was, he had the job of creating this visual document. And in that process, it, all the cells of his body became aware of the miracle of life. And that is what I really invite other people to experience as well. So, so this, this blueprint that's created, right? And, and we talk about pure consciousness and a lot of people talk about that, you know, we were going through life and, and the idea is to go come back to that pure consciousness. So is it the same with the, with the, you know, the, the blueprint, the health blueprint, or is, is that a different, it's not a parallel? No, it's the same. Okay. It's the same. That? Can you explain that please? Yeah. So when we have the experience, which I would really love to demonstrate because I think that sure. will teach more than anything else. Okay. Uh, when we have the experience of reclaiming this undifferentiated consciousness, which has yeah. to be decoded because okay. we have gotten a lot more dense since then. You know, we were in this <laughs> uh, form that had much less density. So this undifferentiated state, you know, was, you used the word pure. I, I like that word also, was more pure, more innocent, more yeah. uh, transparent. Yeah. Uh, so we've become quite dense. And that density is the result of that absence perhaps for circumstances that are unique in many circumstances for which there is no blame, uh, but which do occur when what we are experiencing from that pure state is less than pure. Okay. So in other words, let me give you an example because I feel like I'm talking in abstracts and this might be yes. so confusing yeah. for people. So I'll just use myself as an example. Um, so I was conceived under very difficult circumstances uh, uh, during wartime, during very stressful conditions. And uh, my mother and father uh, were not uh, in the best of circumstances. They were uh, pressured because of the uh, wartime conditions to marry, to come together before they were really ready. And as a result, my conception was not this optimum welcoming of a new being. It okay. was not wanted, it was not expected, it was not convenient. Okay. In fact, it was quite the opposite. 
And my mom, bless her heart, she's a hundred years old, I wanna add, and doing really well, I should say, doing really well. Yeah, incredible woman. Um, My mom recognized that this was not a good time. This was not a good situation and attempted to change the fact that she had conceived me. In other words, she sought an abortion. So obviously she didn't (laughs) succeed. Uh, So that was a less than optimum situation. How did that impact me? Now, looking at me now, you might say, well, it doesn't seem to have been a problem, (laughs) but I have earned this celebration of life from the reclamation of what that experience did to impact my development. I've, by the way, corroborated all of this with my mom uh, and we have discussed it. uh, And we are at such incredible peace and joy uh, about it. But that impact on my health is something that I have been able to claim and to remedy. And just to bring my teacher, Mary Eno Burmeister back, she helped me quite a bit with that. Um, Not specifically, but the wisdom that she transmitted from Jiro Mirai to me is specifically about prenatal life. That's the link that she transmitted a a structure for energy medicine, for touch on specific sites of the body that actually speak through touch to early development. So they optimize early development and they also repair damages to early development. So these damages could be emotional, they could be physiological, they could be health conditions, they could be sensory conditions. And this really has been the heart of my work that I have documented in five books and uh, equal number of clinical trials uh, addressing autism, for instance, uh, addressing sensory integration, learning challenges, how those difficulties uh, can in fact be repaired by addressing the earliest causative factors uh, behind them in development. Okay, so maybe you wanna shift gears and move into a demonstration and uh, let's see what that experience feels like. What do you feel? I'd love to, Uh, and uh, (laughs) you're very courageous uh, in being willing to be a model for this. Uh, And I will invite you to start to just uh, be comfortable, to be really uh, in relationship to the earth and whatever you might be sitting on that you actually feel connected and supported by where your feet have landed, where your buttocks are planted. And so even that chair becomes uh, 
a, a, a material to be in contact with so that you're fully present. What I'm emphasizing is your sensory awareness of your own body and how your body is supported by the earth, by the chair. And to drop into a place where you're not efforting, not doing anything, you have the task of facilitating this webinar. And I'd like you to let go of that for a while here so that you can let your shoulders be released, let your face be soft, let your structure be soft. And definitely let your joints know that you're at ease, that they are not on guard or in alert uh, because you have to perform in any way. So this is not a performance. Uh, this is a way of being. And allow your breath to really be a demonstration of the ease in your body by letting it deepen and not manipulating your breath, but just becoming aware of it for a moment. So let's do that together. Just become aware of the breath and let it deepen. Beautiful. And as it deepens, sense your breath coming more and more from your belly. And you could even put your hands on your belly if you wanted to feel the belly filling up and then emptying out and then filling up again. And enjoy that. Filling up the fullness of the belly, emptying out a pause, and then an organic, effortless, easeful filling up again. And emptying out. Attuning and training to that rhythm feel a deepening of your ease in the moment. And very gently and lovingly letting your body know that you wanna be aware of your sensation, nuanced, delicate sensation, sensation of any kind but at the same time, you're not doing anything. There's awareness, but not effort. And from this place, we're really gonna have some fun. We're going to go on an imaginary journey backwards in time. And in order to go on this journey, Faisal, just because it is a journey, you will need a vehicle. So allow just the fun of that suggestion. We're gonna go on an imaginary journey backwards in time and you need a vehicle and let that vehicle present itself. And when it does, just describe it to me.
It's like a bubble. Like, you know, when you blow bubbles as a kid. Beautiful. It's a bubble. All right. And where are you in relation to the bubble? Are you in the bubble, on the bubble? I'm in the bubble. You're in the bubble. Beautiful. Okay, Faisal. So you are in the bubble and the bubble knows where to go on the journey backwards in time into your history, your life. And the bubble knows that the place you want to land is not in your adult life because the bubble knows we're on a journey into your implicit precognitive experience. So the bubble is moving very quickly through the experiences of today or yesterday or the last years, everything in your adult life, even everything in your young adult life or your adolescent life. Even earlier than that, the bubble keeps moving quickly so that no images are sustained. And as you begin to enter the terrain of your earlier life, the movement of the bubble begins to slow. And once again, the bubble knows where you are meant to land. And knowing that it is implicit precognitive sensory experience, that is the territory of exploration. This could be when you were a little one crawling on the floor of your home. The bubble's slowing down now and images starting to be more sustained. It could be even prior to that, prior to when you could be so mobile at a time when less mobility required that you were held or carried, transported, placed perhaps in a bed, a crib or on the grass in a carriage or close to someone's body. Or even earlier than that, uh, infancy, the moment of emergence from your mother's womb, or even earlier, that rich sensory time, for instance, just prior to birth, when you knew birth was imminent and you were strategizing your movement through the geology of your mother's body, or the period prior to that when you could move in your mother's body and you were oriented through what you heard, what you saw as if from underwater, your relationship to the world around you was coming in through your mother's body and you were in relationship to that, drawn to that, responsive to that. Or even prior to that, when you were so small that it was as if the waters of your mother's body moved you and you were experiencing this watery environment and learning from it in a purely sensory way 
or even before that. So allow the bubble to deposit you at the place you're meant to experience now. And when that happens, taking your time, please, share with me what you've learned. From a physical sensation, I don't know. There's something happening right here. More and, towards. Uh, can you lower this the uh, yeah, screen just, a bit? Yeah. Just just above the solar plex. Beautiful. That's that would be the sensation that we want to focus on. So can you stay with that sensation, Faisal? Just let yourself stay with the sensation and describe it to me. Oh, it's just a weird feeling and interesting. That's where I actually had my main, my main tumor was actually just behind that spot. So dropping into that weird sensation that you're describing, just staying present to it. See, as you identify that sensation, as you give it more space, Faisal, see if you have a sense in relationship to that sensation of size, of your own size. As you really magnify the awareness of the sensation, how big do you feel? Nothing. Nothing. Very small. Very, Very small. Insignificant. Yes. What was that last word? Insignificant. Like insignificant. Irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah. Very small and insignificant. Thank you. So let's zero in on the smallness, very small, which indicates something is there, but it's very small and insignificant. So Recognizing this small, insignificant experience behind the sensation in your solar plexus, just keeping that, you might say, in a frame of your awareness as a sensory experience. I'm going to ask you, Faisal, to find simultaneously another part of your consciousness. So this is a part of your consciousness that's aware of the smallness, the insignificance behind the weird sensation in your solar plexus. So now another part of your consciousness we're going to call forth. And this is a part of your consciousness that could be called uh, an observer or a witness, perhaps the part of consciousness that you might access in meditation, the part of consciousness that has the capacity to have neutrality, but deep perception and compassion at the same time. Can you access that part of yourself? Yeah. Beautiful. Gorgeous, gorgeous. So from that place, of witness consciousness attend to this small insignificant 
experience behind the weird feeling in your solar plexus and let that witness part of you tell us what that small insignificant Faisal needs. What is the need of that small insignificant Faisal? Needs love. And again, from this witness place, how would that small Faisal like to experience love, which clearly there's an absence of in that moment because there's a need for it? Presence. Presence. Touch. 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 Presence and touch. Wonderful. Beautiful. So now, Faisal, I invite you to access yet another part of your consciousness. And this part of your consciousness, I would describe as the steward part of your consciousness. It could also be described as parental. So this part of your consciousness is mammalian, you know, it is in your limbic brain, your midbrain, the part of your consciousness that has caring for other, that stewards another, that is parental, that is mother, father, that is able really to value the needs of another and meet those needs from the stewarding perspective. Do you have such a part of your consciousness, Faisal? I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're a parent, that would be activated. But even just being a caring person, uh, that aspect of limbic consciousness exists. Bring that consciousness that is yours, Faisal, that is your own parental stewarding self to this small, insignificant Faisal that has a longing for presence, touch, love and let that interaction unfold take your time and when you're ready i'd love to hear about it I feel some dissolving, but I still feel some resistance. Thank you. Looking at that resistance, can you describe it to me in terms of sensation or shape or size or quality, whatever characteristics it has? It's a little more up and down, not as center. Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. It's up longer, down. it's elongated. Elongated, yeah. So 
again, bringing that witness that you found to that elongated up and down structure that you feel, ask the witness to share what that elongated structure needs. Stability, consistency. Beautiful. Safety. Stability, consistency, and safety. Beautiful. And now, again, this parental part of you, Faisal, the part of you that is so nurturing, so oriented towards the need of the other, what fulfills, what provides consistency, stability and structure, knowing that that's what is needed out of that deep parental part of who you are, offer that to this elongated up and down structure that is you. And as that unfolds, taking your time, please. When you feel ready to share it, I'd be delighted to hear what has occurred. I feel joy, but from a sad space. Yeah. And where is that sad space? If you could identify it from a sensory standpoint. No, there's release here, but I just feel... Relief. So the relief and the sadness. Again, invite the witness part of you to see what that needs. (laughs) Thank you, Faisal. You're, You're being very true to this experience and I I'm with you and honor you in your authenticity and vulnerability. And let's meet the need through the parental aspect of who you are with commitment, stability, and structure. Let's meet the need of this sadness and relief. Thank you, Faisal, for this incredible presence and availability in this public setting to be true to yourself. And can that 
beautiful steward that lives inside you, the parent, the loving human, offer the structure and presence with commitment to this, to this grief, to this relief, to this recognition. Can you bring presence, committed presence to that experience? How are you doing, Faisal? Much better. I really want to honor you in your transparency. And connect with you here through this medium across time and space. And I, I would like to share that you identified a very specific early time in your development and the elongated structure that you came to, I would posit is the primitive streak. So that is the link between the spinal column and the brain that is sometimes referred to as the midline. From a developmental standpoint, it's a critical evolutionary phase in which the connection between the body and the mind is structurally formed. So it does absolutely ask for stability. And the fact that it's elongated, that there was the movement from one state to this elongated state really reflects how purely you were in that space and how you accessed very early memory. And I'm incredibly grateful to you because this does indeed demonstrate that from a sensory non-cognitive place, we can claim and repattern that early memory, thereby enhancing our health significantly. And this is exactly my experience with myself. And 
what I have the privilege of facilitating in people of all ages with a broad spectrum of health needs. And it's effective and changes health dynamics, relational dynamics, family dynamics in natural unfolding ways. Want to say these things knowing that you are in this very expanded state and honor that. And how is this landing with you? So I have a question. So <clears throat> the fact that my main tumor was in the same location, does that have anything to do with it? Very likely, yes. That, and of course, each one of us has to unfold these dynamics individually, but collaboration really helps. Uh, so for instance, I was born with some really severe respiratory and visual issues. Why did they manifest in the way that they did? I have unraveled that and thankfully repaired that uh, through the same exact process. Why they landed that way has been part of my journey. Um, it, it's an understanding of the toxicity of the environment, certain substantive toxins that were not possible for me to completely inhale. So I restricted my respiratory capacity. And then there was also what I saw that and what I knew I would continue to see that caused the particular visual impairments that I had. I, I'm not wearing any glasses. I'm 77 years old. I was just at the ophthalmologist just last week and the ophthalmologist is baffled at how my vision is actually getting better and better. I can see that it really troubles him. He's testing all of his stuff to see what could possibly have gone wrong because my vision is supposed to deteriorate, right? At my age and that's not what's happening. And I'm impressed because I'm using my eyes so much more because of our Zoom environment. When he told me my vision was better than my last visit, which was over a year ago, because I haven't been because of COVID, uh, I, was, I was flabbergasted. I said, wow, I'm surprised. <laughs> uh, so I have unpeeled many of those details myself and I assist people in doing that. But ultimately it's you who will answer that question um, that place of your solar plexus of course has significance, but what is also extremely significant from my perspective as an embryologist is the primitive streak, the link between the spinal column and the brain as the moment that you identified as a moment of needing presence and structure. Uh, yeah, I think if we explored that further in another opportunity that we would get even more detail around that. But by the mammalian part of you, the stewarding part of you, making a commitment to that moment of your own development, of you, 
your consciousness present in that moment of providing stability, structure, and presence, you already remedy at the deepest level what that developmental need was. That wasn't met at that time. We don't change that. That's true. But in the present, when you provide that, which was missing before, it repairs that earlier condition because we're living in deep time. We're living in the past, the present, and the future simultaneously. Thank you. So to the people who are listening and will listen later, what, what can they do or should may want to consider in terms of this past, present, future, you know, opportunity to be able to heal or to not bring forth or continue to carry forward some of the things that are not serving them? What, what would you suggest? What are some of the things they may want to consider um, to live that expansive state and go back to that pure level of consciousness or whatever word each one of us would like to use to describe that? I think first and foremost is to have confidence that they have the complete capacity to do that. And that by being witness to this experience, they're already demonstrating that they are interested, capable, curious, and available for accessing this level of wisdom, this level of intervention, no matter who they are, that it is available to them and they have chosen to investigate it and to absorb it. Beyond that, I can recommend readings. I can recommend having experiences just as you did that will bring this consciousness front and center fairly readily. So the the construct that I uh, shared with you is I call it the rediscovery journey and I created it. It's amazing to me because it's quite a simple structure. Nevertheless, it brings a unity of consciousness, a unity of self in a fairly short amount of time. So I I make that available. It's um, something that I educate people about. I offer it. Uh, I provide programs to learn this and those programs are available to anyone. Okay, so what we'll do is with the video, we'll share along some of the, the books or some of the content or some of the opportunities for people to consider, right? And of course, if they would like to have an experience like we just had, obviously in private, not, not on a live webinar, mm-hmm. not everybody is um, <clears throat> gonna do that. Um, that I think would be really something beautiful if um, I think, you know, if they're open and willing to do that. So um, any closing remarks, I mean, that you'd like to share or that you want everybody to kind of think about, ponder on or reflect on or just anything, anything that comes to heart. 
Well, what comes to heart, Faisal, really is appreciation for you and for your courage uh, in being so available. You know, what you have allowed is exquisite and in service. So to me, you have demonstrated your incredible service to humanity by allowing your process to be so available for others to learn from. And I, I just want to honor that gift, really. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to create, for giving me that space to have that experience. I mean, that's really special. And I want to thank everyone for being here. And uh, Stephanie, again, thank you very much for your time, your experience, your love, your care, your process that really, um, you know, Help me go back to that space, and and um, I know I've been saying things to myself not long ago to to continue with that healing. And as I did when you asked me at the end, I started to say those things to myself, and slowly started to feel a lot better. And it was even when I did it before on my own, I would tear and cry when it happened. So it's something that's been still not, I guess, healed, even though I had a tumor the size of a Rubik's cube in that exact location. So I guess um, everything takes time and we just have to be patient and loving and trusting. You know, at some point, I, when I recognized that my healing was still not complete, I made a promise to myself that I wouldn't demand that it ever be complete, that my dedication was to stay with myself, which is sometimes the hardest thing to do, to honor the imperfection, the evolution, and to flow with that wherever it might take me. And I know now that this is the most important thing we can do at this incredible turning point for humanity, for the world, that if there's any doubt, I have resolved that doubt of the importance of this claiming of the whole self and honesty and authenticity with self as our most important contribution to the children of the future. Thank you. Thank you very much, Stephanie. Really an honor and privilege. Thank you for the experience. Thank you everyone for being there with us as we had this very special experience together. Um, next week, we are gonna switch gears. We're gonna be having Kate Bright coming in talking about security and uh, physical cyber. And the week after, we're gonna go back to self as medicine, really going back to everything, knowing that is within us. So thank you, everyone. See you next Wednesday. And again, Stephanie, thank you very much. And uh, God bless as I sleep. I will be grateful for today and uh, how it unfolds. Thank you. Thank you, Faisal.